And I want to give thanks to Pastor Chad for making that video. And I want to give just thanks to our tech team, Bill Lewis and Pam Clark are serving with sound. Wade Rollins is running our slides. Uh, Dan Lloyd and Maverick were on cameras for our live stream. Robin Johnson is our online host. Especially want to thank Dave Bennett, our tech director, director who anchored our services when others uh, were sick. Uh, thanks, too, to Arianna Kershack for leading worship last week and to Jason Crosby uh, for preaching a fantastic message. I was up in uh, Wisconsin, had another family member die, and it was, um, it was hard but good to be there, especially for my dad. Now, as we celebrate God's creative work in the womb this weekend, we affirm this truth. Since everyone is made in the image of God, everyone is important to God. And God has a special place in his heart for children. This week I was deeply saddened and sickened even to hear about the after-school Satan Club at an elementary school in Moline. This school is one block from our house. It's where the neighborhood kids go. And whatever else we can say about this, it must be stated clearly that Satan is real, he is a liar, a thief, and a murderer, and he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and he targets children who are fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, don't buy the lie that all of this is harmless. Now, as I considered how best to respond, on Wednesday I posted a sermon excerpt on Facebook about what the Bible says about Satan and his demons. And then on Thursday morning, I was led to type out a prayer uh, that I was able to pray on Moody Radio Thursday morning. Later that day, Thursday night, I did a 30-minute Facebook Live video. It's archived on the Edgewood page or on my personal page uh, if you'd like to uh, take a listen to that. You are aware that this story is all over social media. It's been covered by local media as well. It's also appeared in the Daily Mail out of the UK. It's in USA Today. It's in Newsweek and the New York Post. On Friday night, Tucker Carlson interviewed the national leader of the Satanic Temple about why the Satan Club is operating in Moline. So here's where it became very personal. About an hour after I posted the prayer that I typed out, this same guy, the one who was on with Tucker Carlson, the one who's the leader of the Satanic Temple, made a post on my Facebook wall. And I can't even tell you what he said because it's blasphemous. And when I saw it, I quickly deleted it, but it had been up for about 30 minutes. Brothers and sisters, let me just tell you, we are in a spiritual battle. And in light of that, it would be a privilege for me to lead us in prayer, so join me. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the victor. And though Satan is a liar, a thief, and a murderer, he is a vanquished foe. 
We affirm that Jesus has defeated death and depravity and the devil through his substitutionary death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. Oh, we come before you on behalf of our community and we ask for protection for these precious students made in your image. May the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ continue to be spread and do it through groups like the Good News Clubs, through the Quest Clubs in Davenport. Do it through Young Life and FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, in our high schools. Oh God, would you stir within parents and grandparents to be done with half-hearted living, to be done with surfacy spirituality so that they can imprint your word on the hearts of the next generation. God, may you use this situation to alert parents to the reality of evil so they'll introduce their kids to the life-changing message of the gospel. Oh, would you continue to equip children's ministry directors like Sheila here and youth pastors like Pastor Kyle, but youth pastors and churches throughout our community as they seek to evangelize and equip students. And we ask that those teachers and staff and administrators, many of who are here today or listening and engaging online, who are followers of Christ, Lord, would you use them to represent you well, that they might leverage their positions as platforms for ministry. And now, united in spirit, we pray against the devil and his demons, recognizing that the real battle in this present darkness is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remind us to take up the spiritual armor you have provided for us so we can withstand evil by standing firm in Christ. We pray specifically that parents will not send their children to this club and that this group will not gain any traction in our schools. And finally, Lord, would you awaken us to the need for revival and would you mobilize your followers to live on mission for your glory and for the good of our community. We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. You know, I reached out yesterday to my friend Ray Pritchard. He heads up Keep Believing Ministries, and I asked him to pray. I let him know what's happening in our community, and he sent me a note. This is what he said He said, The devil has overstepped. He's about to get hit with a double whammy the prayers of God's people and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what's hit me in this? Here's what's hit me. Whatever our reaction, and there's a lot of reactions, and we're all having to kind of discern how to respond and what all this means in our community, let me suggest at least one response. Let's take advantage of this moment for gospel conversations with people. Here's why. Everybody's talking about Satan. Everybody's talking about spiritual matters. So what about this? I had an opportunity yesterday to speak with a neighbor. I just said, hey, what do you think of what's happened at Jane Addams School, a block from our house? Well, he had some thoughts about it. He's a parent. 
I have never had the depth of conversation that I had with this guy before yesterday. And so let's take advantage of that. Let's look for those opportunities and speak clearly, unashamedly about the gospel. Man, Satan is at work, but listen, the gospel is spreading around the globe. And God chooses to use you and I as his ambassadors. You know, there's another example. Perhaps you've heard of the new law to the north of us. No, not Wisconsin. Further north than that, it's in Canada. It was just passed and put into practice about 10 days ago. It deals with conversion therapy. Bible-preaching pastors in Canada are concerned that this law could adversely affect churches which teach a biblical understanding of sexuality. And so, in unity and solidarity with these pastors, I, along with many other pastors, this very weekend, this very day, were standing with Canadian Christians. Here's part of a statement that was prepared by the Canadian Religious Freedom Summit. This statement, I'm only going to read an excerpt, but this statement was read by Canadian pastors last weekend. Quote, along with church leaders of like conviction across Canada, we stand before you today to pledge that we're committed to obeying God above all others. Acts 5.29. With the Lord's help, we'll continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God, Acts 20-27, without fear or favor. This includes God's life-giving design for human beings made in His image, male and female, Genesis 1-27, with sexual intimacy reserved for the covenantal union of a man and a woman, Genesis 2-24. We'll continue to issue the call to repent of all kinds of sin and to believe the gospel, knowing that we all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and that salvation through Jesus is the one true hope for the world. By the way, this is also happening pretty close to us in West Lafayette, Indiana. The Indiana City Council is also moving that direction. Well, let's speak about the state of Illinois. State of Illinois passed Senate Bill 818 in May of 2021, which requires public schools to teach comprehensive sex education to all students, including the benefits of abortion, LGBTQ relationships, and, well, I'm not even going to mention the other topics because they're way too graphic to even share in church. Now, thankfully, on that one, school boards and parents can opt out. So here's what I want to say about all of that. Let's make sure our church continues to stand on the Scriptures, ministering truth in a spirit of grace as we preach the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community, to our country, and on the continents. Now, sometime during the month of January each year, 
along with thousands of other churches, we take time to reflect on the issues of life. Why do we do it in January? Well, it's because we mark the anniversary of Roe v. Wade in 1973, which legalized abortion in this country. Abortion is a hot-button issue. It has been for a long time. Let me just share some headlines I saw this past month. First one is this, will the U.S. Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade in 2022? Supreme Court is deliberating and they're expected to release their ruling in June or July of this year. Second headline, Illinois governor repeals law requiring parental notification of abortion. Third headline, FDA rules male order abortions, this is abortion by pill, can stay. So for the past 30 years or so, I try to preach from a different text on every Sanctity of Life weekend. And this weekend, I'm drawn to Genesis chapter 1. I invite you to take your Bible and then open it up to the very first book, the very first chapter of the very first book. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one right in front of you. I'd love for you to see God's Word with your eyes or feel free to use your mobile device. Here's our aim today. I'm praying that God would awaken within us a grateful reverence for the gift of life as we look at what God's Word says about His wonderful work in the womb. One pastor captures it like this. When a human life comes into existence, something magnificent has happened. He or she is created in the image of God to last forever. Here's our main idea. Since everyone is made in the image of God, everyone is important to God. Let's look now at four bedrock beliefs from Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here we see that God is eternal. The name for God here in Hebrew is Elohim. This name for God is used some 2,500 times in the Bible. 32 times in the first chapter of Genesis alone. Most scholars believe Elohim derives from the word El, which means strong. Specifically, Elohim means he's the strong creator God who is creatively powerful, completely sovereign, gloriously great. Many years ago, perhaps some of you were there in his unforgettable style. E.V. Hill spoke at a Promise Keepers event in Chicago, and he spoke on just two words. A 40-minute sermon on two words. Here are the words. God is. He repeated that phrase over and over. He whispered it, he shouted it, and he dared anyone to deny it. Friends, settle this. God is. And God is eternal. Psalm 14.1 says, Only those who are foolish doubt God's existence. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. Notice next 
creationism is correct. I'm still in the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word for create means to create out of nothing. Perhaps you've heard this phrase. It's Latin, ex nihilo. God created out of nothing. God created the cosmos. He birthed beauty out of barrenness. And he continues to do the same as he works his wonder in the womb. Let's look at a few more phrases in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 7. And God made the expanse and separated the waters. Verse 16. And God made the two great lights. Verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature. Verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth. And then look at the very last verse of Genesis 1. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Third bedrock belief. The Trinity is true. Now I'm in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is an allusion to the Trinity. The I am ending of Elohim is a plural suffix. So although the name Elohim is plural, it's often treated as a singular noun. So let me read it again. Then God, Elohim, plural, said, singular, let us, plural, make man in our plural image after our plural likeness. Now, while this is certainly a reference to the Trinity, this verse doesn't fully develop the doctrine of the Trinity, but here we see this doctrine in embryonic form. God, who is eternal in nature, has always existed in three persons. Would you observe the word then? It functions like a pause or a reflection. The word make refers to a completed and accomplished activity with a distinct purpose. The word image has the idea of likeness or model. You put those two words together and we have this sense of emphasis. It's like emphatic to this superlative degree. Friends, there's something unique in the way God expressed his desire to make man and woman. He goes from simply speaking things into existence, where he said, let there be, and there was, and then we come to this verse, let us make man. When God wanted to create fish, he spoke to the sea. When God wanted to create trees, he spoke to the earth. But when God wanted to create man, he turned to himself. One commentator writes, these are some of the most important words in all of Scripture. The teaching that man is the image and likeness of God is foundational for a Christian understanding of human nature, for the dignity and value of the person, and for all of Christian ethics. The lives of all human beings have intrinsic and not just instrumental value. Friends, settle this. Since everyone is made in the image of God, everyone is important to God. Number four, every person has a purpose. Now, look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male 
and female, he created them. Let's do a little observation. You can look on the screen. How many times do you see the word created? Three. How many times do you see in his image, in the own image or image of God twice? So in this one verse, we see that God is the creator and we are made in his image, in the image of a holy God. Would you also note it's God who determines gender? Jesus reinforces this, Matthew 19, verse 4. Have you not read, Jesus is quoting this, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Now, the true value of something or someone in an ultimate sense is found only in the value that God puts on it. Simply put, every person is made in the image of God and therefore has dignity, worth, value, and purpose. And as you read the first chapter of Genesis, you get the sense God is building to a crescendo. When you get to Genesis chapter 2, we hear more detail, more specifics. So I want you now to look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. Then... The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. The name Lord is Yahweh. Refers to God as covenant keeper. This name for God is Elohim, creator. So God as the covenant keeping creator. Would you observe, while God spoke the rest of creation into existence, here we read, he formed the man from what? From the dust. (laughs) This word was used of an artist carefully constructing his or her masterpiece. It was used of a potter making something with his hands. Every single person from conception to natural death, has innate worth and intrinsic value because everyone is made by God himself. Interestingly, the name for man is Adam, Adam. The word for ground, Adama. God reached down and he personally made Adam from Adama. It gets even more personal and intimate when we read these words, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is an opportunity to worship, church. God created from the ground Adam And then God breathed into Adam the breath of life. We could say it like this. God breathed his own breath into Adam's nostrils with his own mouth, as it were. He took a handful of his creation, right? He made the dirt to create Adam. And his breath of life breathed life into that lifeless clay 
And the same God who used his mouth to speak the universe into existence stoops down to get face to face with this lump of dust and breathes life into the masterpiece that he has created. Look next at what God does in creating woman. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, notice how personal this is, how, how involved God is, took one of his ribs, and then he closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man... He made her into, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, whoa, man. Okay, it doesn't say that, but get it? Whoa, man, whoa, man. Okay. This at last, it's something like this, because listen to what he says. He breaks into poetry. Come on, guys, this, he's speaking poetry here this at last is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man now one pastor says it better than i can everything that was true of the uniqueness of the first man was shared with the first woman and all of their offspring would share that uniqueness as well. This shows us the great value God places on human life. It is his special work of creation, made as it were by his own hands from the dust of the ground and made alive by the breath of his own mouth. Human life is wonderfully precious to God, and for that reason, it is to be held as immeasurably valuable and sacred. Now, before leaving the book of Genesis, let's just look at three other verses. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created, there's the word created again, he made him, here's the word likeness again, he made him in the likeness of God, drop down to verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, check out these words, in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Look now at Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood subsides. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? What's the reason? Here it is. For God made man in his own image. One pastor writes this, Every human being reflects God, and therefore there's rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory, significance, and worth about every human being. Let's make three implications from this. Number one, all members of humanity equally possess an inherent dignity from God. Number two, each individual human life is of immeasurable value to God. Number three, human life is to be treated as sacred to God in whatever condition it is found. Now, to help us think through what the Bible teaches about the sanctity of human life, I chose 
10 scriptural arguments that show that the fetus is fully human. I'm going to go through these rather quickly. You could jump online, download the sermon manuscript if you want to dive a little bit deeper on these. Number one, the preborn are called babies and children. Check out Luke chapter 1, 41 to 44, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who is that baby? John the Baptist leaped in her womb. And then Elizabeth said, blessed is the, here it is, child you will bear. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb Leaped with joy. (laughs) Ponder this. Here's what I wrote down. The first person to recognize Jesus as an unborn baby was the unborn baby named John the Baptist. Number two, the life of the preborn is protected by the same punishment for injury or death as that of an adult. Exodus 21, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. What life? The life of the baby. Number three, Christ was fully human from the point of conception. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Matthew chapter 1, number four. Preborn children have a propensity to sin. Check this out. We read in Psalm 51.5, David writing, Surely I was sinful at birth. Then he goes back even further. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Number five, God works his wonders in the womb. Job 31.15, Did not he who made me in the womb make him, and did not one fashion us in the womb? Number six, the preborn, preborn are formed in the womb, as you do not know the path of the wind, Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, or how the body is formed, listen, in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Check this out. This is significant. Personal pronouns, number seven, are used to describe preborn children. We read in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you, God's speaking to Jeremiah, the prophet. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Number eight, the preborn are called by God and named by him before birth. Isaiah 49.1, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Number nine, the preborn are created by God. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139 is so beautiful. We've, um, I've preached on that before, but, but check this. The preborn are known intimately and personally by God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Listen to the ne- this next phrase. 
your eyes saw my unformed body. Now with the advent of ultrasound, we can see pictures of the preborn. We can watch their development as if there's a window into the womb. There we see that the fetus is not part of its mother. No, we see a neighbor to love. We see a baby. So what's in the womb is not a woman's body, but a distinct human life created by God as an image bearer of the Almighty to bring glory to Him. Listen, you didn't come from an embryo. You were once an embryo. There are only four differences between a preborn child and every other human being. Check this out. Okay, there's a difference of size. There's a difference of level of development. There's a difference of environment. One baby who's alive is inside his or her mother, the other outside, and certainly a degree of dependency. But mark this. None of these differences disqualifies an unborn child from being a valuable human being worthy of protection. Since everyone is made in the image of God, everyone is important to God. I appreciate how one church wrestled with this. This is what they wrote. From the point of conception, the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. From the moment of conception, the image of God is then reflected in this newly formed human, and despite the smallness of this image-bearing person, this is the precise moment in time that a life has begun. God is the creator, and he is intimately involved with us because he made us. His constant concern for us is simply the natural instinct of a maker a maker would have in a very special product. God is the owner of the preborn. They belong to Him. From conception on, every child is a creative work of God, created with purpose and deserving of protection. Incidentally, do you ever run into somebody who says, I don't believe the Bible? Yeah, we all do. Let me suggest uh, an argument, an appeal you could make. It's only 20, less than 25 words long. And I first saw this from Scott Klusendorf. So here it is, premise number one. You're talking to your friend. You could say, do you think it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being? Most people go, yeah. Premise number two, abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Conclusion, therefore, abortion is morally wrong. Since God is the creator of life and life begins at conception, brothers and sisters, we are called to be advocates for those who can't be heard. If we could hear what they were saying, but we can't. 
And so Proverbs 31 says, speak up. Speak up for who? Well, for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Here's another verse I wrote down from Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 11. It's vivid. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. That's Proverbs 24, 11. You know, tomorrow, Monday, we remember Martin Luther King's impact on racial equality and human rights. I'm glad we do that as a country. But let's also recognize we still have a long way to go to protect the greatest of all human rights, the right to life for the preborn. And as a church, we celebrate, we defend and we advocate for life. Why? Because we share God's love for the good of people and we share God's love for His glory. I was so glad to hear this week I learned from Sheila Kershak. This summer, uh, that's normally when we have Super Saturdays, right? We do one in June, July, and August. This year we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to have three days three consecutive days together in July, July 21 to 23. We're going to call it Super Summer Slam. And this year, the focus has a pro-life theme. Check out, here's a general description. Kids will discover that life is valuable from the tiniest to the oldest. Each person is made in the image of God, wonderfully designed to know Him and live for Him. So let me circle back and come to where we started. Because Satan is a murderer, he hates all of human life. Listen to this position paper on abortion, quote, Satan loathes the imago Dei, that's the image of God, with every fiber of his being. Every person is a portrait of the God he hates, a reminder that his reign is limited, his defeat inevitable. And as Christians, we must remember that our ultimate fight is not against pro-choice advocates or abortionists, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians six twelve. Any abortion affects at least two embodied eternal souls. No no matter what our culture says, it's not just removing a clump of cells from the uterus. No, it's the willful ending of another person's life. And for this reason, we believe abortion is is nothing less than murder. Now, we must be among the first to defend the preborn and advocate for those who can't speak for themselves. But at the same time, we, as ones who've experienced mercy, grace, and forgiveness ourselves, we must be the first to extend mercy 
and grace and forgiveness to those who've had abortions. I am so grateful that Elohim continues to recreate today. He loves to forgive and wipe away guilt and shame. And today, He can give you a fresh start if you will but turn your life over to Him and trust Him by faith. Claim the promise of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Are you aware that approximately one-third of all American women by the age of 45 will have had at least one abortion? So right here in this room, those of you engaging online, some of you have had an abortion. Others of you have encouraged someone to get an abortion a boyfriend, a husband, a parent, a friend. Or maybe you've even paid for an abortion for someone. I want you to know that Jesus can and will forgive you and bring healing to you and restore you from the guilt and shame that has been in your life for years. Last year at the Pregnancy Resources Banquet, I was moved when Edgewood member Stacy Hutton got up and bravely shared her testimony. Shortly after that, I asked her to come and share that testimony in our services here at Edgewood, and Stacy's agreed to do that. Stacy, would you come on <coughs> up? And as she comes up, she's going to do something very difficult. Can we just say together, we <coughs> love you? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. We love you. Thank you. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me tell you about what I consider to be my greatest sin, the one that kept me from accepting God's forgiveness for so many years. As Brian said, my name is Stacy Hutton, and I'm nearing my three-year birthday as a new creation in Christ. Mine, like so many others, was a long, arduous journey to salvation because for so long I couldn't accept God's forgiveness. I just couldn't believe that God offered forgiveness for the heinous act of murdering a child. Just as he had coaxed Eve to doubt, to doubt God, Satan continually whispered to me, do you really believe that God would forgive you for such a thing? Don't be ridiculous. His forgiveness isn't for someone like you. It was about 10 years ago that I discovered that many things I had held to be truths were in fact lies. One discovery of truth led to the discovery of another truth, and so on. This eventually led me to seek the truth about Christianity. That journey began with a documentary called, Is Genesis History? That was followed by watching a docuseries called Christ Revealed, which contains a multitude of compelling testimonies and video demonstrating archaeological evidence that the Bible is indeed a historical account, not just stories that man created out of thin air. It was at this point that I actually bought a Bible, and I began to read it. With each session in the Word, my hunger for forgiveness grew stronger, and Satan's voice grew weaker. Until one Saturday night, sitting in the back row of church, hearing Pastor Brian's message of salvation, I invited Jesus into my life 
and finally accepted his gift of forgiveness. For the, f- <laughs> yeah, for the first time in my life, I experienced a peace that I had never known. The moment I gave my life to him, he took on all those burdens and gave me freedom in return. Mm. What a gracious God. I am a member here at Edgewood, as is Kathy Nagel, who gave her testimony here a couple of years ago. She encouraged the congregation to get involved with pregnancy resources, whether they needed to do so for healing or maybe because they wanted to help in other ways. I approached Kathy after the service that evening and got some more information. It was because of her testimony that I decided I would like to volunteer at Pregnancy Resources so that I might possibly help someone to not make the same mistake that I had made all those years ago. I wanted to be able to use my former brokenness with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead a mother and or father to choose life. Choosing to end the life of a child is a journey in which a woman cannot fully comprehend and is not told that not only is it physically painful, but it destroys you mentally and most importantly, spiritually. I would love it if never, never another woman would travel down the same path that I did. However, if they have, or if they do, I also want to be able to offer them love and to help them in their journey to forgiveness with the ultimate goal of salvation in mind. With all that being said, in order to, for a post-abortive person to volunteer at Pregnancy Resources, a, post, a post-abortive Bible study is required prior to, ser- prior to serving in the ministry. This is to ensure that you are indeed healed and able to help others on their journey. As it turns out, God miraculously healed my abortion wounds the night I gave my life to him. Mm. And although I thought I didn't need to go through the study for the purpose of healing, of course, it turned out to be another one of God's enormous blessings. He blessed me with four commendable women with whom I now have a special bond and gather with once a month in sisterhood. Kathy and Sandy are truly a blessing for pregnancy resources, and I'm grateful for their service. As for the other two women who went through the study with me, They've been believers for a long time, and even knowing and having a heart for God, they hadn't been able to forgive themselves, let alone accept God's forgiveness. With me having just become a believer and accepting that forgiveness, this was heartbreaking to witness. Throughout their journey, I was able to watch the layers of scarring from guilt and shame being shed one at a time until finally each was in a place to accept the forgiveness that is offered by our gracious and merciful God. God truly blessed me to be able to share in these intimate moments with such beautiful and courageous women. It made my heart smile to see their transformation from brokenness to healed and forgiven. So at the end of the Bible study, we acknowledge our children by giving them a a name and then having a memorial service. You see, in making that faithful choice, we don't feel we're allowed to grieve. Therefore, we never experience closure. This simple act brought about the closure that I never had and never knew I even needed. I named my child Aubrey and wrote what started out to be a letter to her, but instead morphed into a poem. And I'd like to share that with you now. Dearest Aubrey, I owe you so much more than an apology. Instead of choosing you, I chose me. I didn't think I could go it alone, and I was too scared to raise you on my own. From your father and my mother, I had no support. Therefore, sadly, 
I chose to abort. I've regretted my decision from the moment you were gone. And because of that decision, from God's love, I was withdrawn. I've always wondered who you'd be. An athlete? A scholar? Just like me? Through the years, I've searched for your missing love in all the wrong places. And because of what I did to you, I felt I couldn't go to Jesus. It took me 28 years to finally admit that I could no longer run from my sin. I needed forgiveness from myself and from him. I stand here today knowing I am forgiven and excited for the day I get to meet you in heaven. Until then, my precious child, I will keep you in my heart, knowing that when Jesus calls me home, we'll never be apart. And that brings me to Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. In closing, I just want to say thank you to all of you who donate money, time, or both to pregnancy resources or to other ministries similar to theirs. You are helping to make a difference in people's lives. I am grateful that even after all this time, they've made a difference in mine. And if only pregnancy resources had been available to me all those years ago. I would also like to express my gratitude to all who continue to fight to make abortion illegal. Had I not had man's permission to murder, I wouldn't have broken the sixth commandment in the first place. And I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. Yeah, let's just give her a hand for the courage. Why don't you all stand? Go ahead and stand. Thank you. Stacey, there's a lot of love here in this room, but it strikes me that some of you might be in a similar situation. And we want you to know that there's hope and there's healing available in Jesus Christ. Stacy's experienced it. Several others of you have experienced that. Some of you not yet. This morning there's a table set up out in the lobby for pregnancy resources, and there's someone there uh, ready to talk to you. If you'd like to serve at pregnancy resources or figure out um, another way you can get involved, uh, you can do that. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your soul right now, but Edgewood is a hospital for sinners. <laughs> we are a safe harbor for the hurting, and we're an incubator for kingdom ambassadors. By the way, Pregnancy Resources, uh, beginning yesterday, is now open on Saturdays uh, because people need access on Saturdays. That's also a day when abortions happen and so we want to make sure we provide that alternative. Uh, Stacy, you reminded me that there's also a new group starting 
uh, to help women find freedom and forgiveness. That's starting March 31st. I've asked Stacy to stay up here because I want to pray for her and I want to pray for you. But I want to say this as well. God created life and therefore life is good and taking life is bad. But the good news is that Jesus' death is able to give you life even if you've taken a life. Would you bow your head right now? First, I want to uh, speak to those who have not yet trusted Christ for salvation. Today would be the day for you to do that. And so would you just agree with God what you already know deep inside, that you're a sinner, that you've sinned in many ways, in thought, in action, in word. Just own it. And now turn from it, repent from your sins. And turn to Christ, who died in your place as your substitute on the cross. And when he died, his blood was shed, and that blood pays the full price for every sin that you've ever committed, whatever that sin is. And the blood of Jesus is accepted by God the Father as full payment, fully satisfying his righteous and holy wrath. Your sins have been forgiven. Propitiation has happened. And we thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead. You were raised from the dead on the third day, showing the power that you have over sin, over Satan, over death itself. Lord, help me to live for you now as your follower, as your disciple. And Lord, now I want to pray for those who are in a tough spot, who've been dealing with uh, painful memories and hurt and pain and shame and guilt. First of all, thank you for healing Stacy and for giving her the joy through a hard journey to see her sisters in Christ find freedom as well. So Lord, would you do your work in hearts today, hearts here in this room or online. Help them not lose hope, but know that you are ready to forgive. You are ready to heal. You're ready to restore. Do your work now. Jesus, for your glory and your honor, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's give Stacy a hand again. Thank you, Stacy. You're dismissed.